one of our team members with autism was struggling or, or a group of them were struggling because the business was built on empowering them and we really cared about their success. It forced us to look at how is the system they're interacting with failing them, right? How is the business failing the employee? Get ready for brilliant people, brilliant ideas, and a regular good time. This is Brilliant Thoughts with Success People editor Tristan Almada, the show that thinks about how personalities, relationships, and communication shape business success. And now here he is, Tristan Almada. My next guest wrote a book called The Power of Potential. He bought a car wash in 2013 with his dad. His name's Thomas Derry. And the reason for it is to simply help out the autistic community because Thomas's brother is autistic. And in this process, not only was it incredibly tough because they had no idea how to run this car wash, but in this process, they learned lessons along the way that we as business owners can put into play, not only about eliminating biases, but lessons about working with people, leading them with purpose. Every time people are struggling, they realize that they have to look at the systems that were failing the people, not the other way around. And so in this, he teaches us as the listener in this case, or the reader, if you pick up the book, The Power of Potential, talks about the things we need to pay attention to, to better solve the problems. There are actually four problems that we go over here that you need to solve. Jump into this one, take some notes. You're going to enjoy this one. Welcome back, everyone. Another episode of Brilliant Thoughts, Success Magazine podcast. And I've got Tom Derry with me. He wrote this great book that you're going to want to pick up. I know I throw books at you every week, but this one, this one's amazing. You've got to pick it up. It's called The Power of Potential. And if you're watching, here it is. It's a blue book. And I don't want to give anything away. I want to ask Tom. And I wanted to let him tell the story. So, Tom Derry, welcome to the show, man. Thanks for doing this. Tristan, it's so good to be with you today. I'm really excited. Uh, and thank you. Looking forward to our conversation. Man, you're at uh, you're at a car wash right now. Yes, at your sir. office. That's right. Every day. Practicing so you, the things that we preach. You're still working, going all in. Tell me about that. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, my family started Rising Tide Car Wash. We started about 10 years ago because my brother, Andrew, is on the autism spectrum. And we knew we needed to do something to help him lead the full adult life that we knew he was capable of. And we looked at a bunch of different businesses. Uh, and we really liked the car wash <coughs> because it's a really structured business. It's a When it's done well, it is very routine and process-driven. Uh, and it's a, an or, it's a type of business that tends to really struggle with finding great talent and really struggle with brand differentiation. And we felt that by employing people with autism and bringing their talents into the organization and designing the organization around them, we could really build a, a super effective car wash business and also have a lot of impact and, and get to bring have Andrew be able to have the adult life that we knew he was really able to have. 
Um, and luckily, it's been it's been real successful. We took our our first car wash. Uh, we purchased it when we purchased it in 2012. It was washing about 35,000 cars a year. Today, it washes over 170,000 cars a year. And our we, we were able to essentially build two more car washes here. We built them from the ground up here in Broward County, Florida. And uh, now we're looking to continue to grow. We want to build this into you know a nationwide car wash chain uh, and really be able to prove that people with autism and, and specifically designing organizations around the talents of people with autism can be a really dynamic business advantage. I like that. And that's, that's very different. I think that's why everyone's wanting to interview you, right? Uh, <laughs> the Today Show, NBC, and and now us here. And dude, you have a lot that's of opportunities right. here. It's so it's so great to see a different approach and it comes down to, I think it comes down to the mindset and be like, Hey, let's approach this a little differently because we actually want to help. Right. And can you tell me how that started with Andrew? So people understand what you wanted to do. Yeah. So, so like I said, Andrew has autism uh, and you know, he, he also has a, a bit of an intellectual dis- disability, but a, a mild one certainly capable uh, of holding down a job and being a really good employee. Uh, he struggled a lot when he was a kid, but he worked really hard and built some, some really strong skills. And uh, it's just a, a genuinely like nice person who wants to do a good job. And what we saw with him and is not unique to Andrew, about 80% of people with autism are either unemployed or underemployed. We saw that there was probably not going to be a chance for him to, to get a job unless we did something. And it's really striking because uh, there's only about 16% of people with autism have a significant intellectual disability. So the vast majority of people with autism don't have either have no intellectual disability or have a very mild intellectual disability like Andrew. And so there's, there's a ton of talent on the bench right now that is not getting an opportunity to work because of the way that we've designed our organizations, the way that we look at talent. And, and because we had this goal of employing people with autism for 80% of our staff, that really made us have to innovate in really every aspect of our business. We had to think critically and intentionally about every bit of how we do the business. And what we learned over the period of doing this was that the issues that people with autism face, they're not really autism issues. They're universal issues. The things that people with autism need to be successful are the same things that anybody else needs. They're just more apparent. So giving the the, the um, example of hiring, right? Like I, I alluded to a moment ago, we tend to hire based a lot on bias, right? We, we tend to say, hey, hey, do I like this person? Is this someone who I want to work with? And there's little hard data that comes out of most interviews. It's more of a feeling in our gut, whether, hey, I, I think this is, person's a good fit or not. And those feelings are so rife with bias. We, you know, studies show that when we do these unstructured interviews, uh, that we essentially make a decision about that person within the first 10 seconds of meeting them by things like their handshake and their, their good looks and their voice. And then the rest of the interview, we're essentially trying to confirm those initial biases. 
so that doesn't work well for people with autism. People with autism have different social skills than neurotypical people. They interact in a different way socially, which uh, is not generally looked upon favorably by you know most people. So it's really easy for them to get passed up, even if they are really qualified uh, to do a job. So this forced us to say, okay, how do we build an objective hiring system, a way to really identify in a concrete method, can someone with autism do this job? Not can they tell us they can do this job, but can they prove up to us that they can do this job? Uh, and so by designing essentially a uh, job audition and then a training program around that, uh, our employees with autism show us before they get hired, that they can effectively wash cars in, in, in our context. And that's led to at least a 97% uh, success rate among the hires that we make for our associate roles who are individuals with autism. We haven't had to fire someone in an associate role uh, in over three years. And that is because of this much more um, effective hiring plan, along with many other things that we do operationally, which we can certainly talk about. But that method, this type of structured approach to eliminating bias from the interview process uh, is something that we can replicate in all different organizations, not just for employing people with autism, but for any role. And what's been so interesting about that when we do it, because we do it for not just our employees with autism, but anybody that we hire, is it, it opens up the talent pool to a much broader group of people, right? Instead of saying like, okay, I need somebody with this on their resume. Uh, and then like, they need to be able to speak in, in this way to make me feel like they're going to be good at this job. We can get a little deeper and say, well, what are the character traits? What are the skills that they need to be able to do? Can we vet that? in the interview process? And can they show us that they can do it in the interview process? And a lot of times you'll find people from much more divergent backgrounds than you would have expected that could be a great fit for that role. And a lot of times the people who you thought were going to be a great fit, who would have wowed you in an unstructured interview, you're like, well, actually, yeah, I don't know about that person. You know, this, you know, this person who may only have a GED, but man, they have incredible character strength and patience and ability to solve problems. I think I'd rather take a shot on that person. I like that, man. So I, I want to get into the details of this. Our audience is business owners, entrepreneurs, mm -hmm. uh, solopreneurs, right? Mm -hmm. As somebody who, who's looking to run a business or is already running a business. Mm -hmm. And the, the attractive piece to your book, uh, the storytelling was great. And I think that the thing we can all learn from it there are a lot of pieces there involved on the hiring process, on the organization, on the culture piece, right? And some of it is unspoken. You could just tell it in the story. It's like, oh, got it. So tell me, when it comes to eliminating bias, how, how can we do it where we incorporate certain processes in the hiring uh, process? Yeah, yeah. So it's... I think there's a couple different really good strategies for this. And if we're able to, the first thing that I recommend and that, that we try to do is to build in work samples 
into the process, right? So, so someone can show you that they can really do what you're asking them to do instead of at, you know, just trying to sell themselves to you. Uh, so when you think about a role that you're hiring for, what are the key things that they have to do? Maybe they're in a sales role and they have to be able to close sales effectively. Maybe they're in a customer service role and they have to be able to stay calm and poised when someone is upset with them. Uh, maybe they're in a coaching role and they have to be able to effectively ask good questions, open-ended questions, non-judgmental questions in order to get to the answers that they're looking for. So by thinking about it, like, well, this is the outcomes I need from this role and then structuring an, a, a work sample or an audition uh, or a training program around this, that's another really great tactic that I think goes underutilized is if we're hiring, especially if we're hiring for entry-level positions and we're having trouble filling those roles, building a training program where it could be paid, a paid training program, even if, or even, even an unpaid training program, where you're showing people, training people how to do these hopefully valuable skills, where they're getting something out of it, even if they don't, you know, get hired after the program, you've they've still learned some some valuable skills that they can maybe take forth in their in their career search. And then, but but by you doing that, you can really clearly understand like, hey, this is somebody who can definitely do this job. I want them in my in my organization. So you can use a training program as a feeder as well. Uh, and then the other tactic that is, is really important when we're, you know, we don't want to totally throw away the standard interview process, which we don't. We use what, what looks like a pretty standard interview, but making it a structured interview. So structured meaning that we are asking the same questions to every candidate where we have a clear scorecard as to what is a five out of five answer, what is a three out of five answer, what is a one out of five answer, and that we're having at least two, ideally three people doing those interviews, right? And, and hopefully they're scoring those interviews independently. So we're asking the same questions. We're scoring them against a clear rubric and we're getting multiple perspectives that tends to really be helpful in eliminating bias as well and it's also a really great platform to improve the evaluation process so when you have a set set of questions and a set score you can say okay well this person scored a 90 and they failed so uh, obviously our assessment process was flawed there what do we need to add what do we need to subtract what do we need to change the weight on, on these questions in order to maybe get a little closer to something good. Well, and, and you can consistently do that. Every time someone fails in your, in your organization, you can go back to the interview and say, okay, well, what other, what, what questions could have I asked that might've shed some light on the reason this person wasn't a good fit. And, and when you do that over time, you end up building a really unique and, and nuanced uh, interview scorecard for your organization, right? Because everybody, every role, every company is different. So there's not necessarily just like three key questions that you can ask that are going to work to identify every position. It, it's it's more nuanced. And, and by doing this approach, you can build a really nuanced approach. I like that you continually go back and you're like, oh, you know, we didn't see that before. Oh, exactly. Damn. 
And then you're like, let's uh, let's add that or let's tweak <laughs> a little bit. Yep. Yep. And I can see how this is different for, for different businesses, right? You're like, oh, we didn't see that that time. That's important to us, right? Mm. I like that. Exactly. So tell me about the training. How does the yeah. training fit into this process right here? Yeah. Yeah. So, so for us, that means that what we're going to do is we're going to certify someone in our um, interior cleaning process, right? So you're a certified car wash associate when you finish this program. And we show them our process. We train them on this process. It's, it's about a 45-step process on each side of the car. And they have to be able to do that process three times in a row under six minutes in order to be certified uh, in, in the position, right? So this is a really clear pass-fail criteria. You can say, okay, they, they followed all the steps. They did those steps under six minutes. So now we have confidence that they can do this at a high enough level that they'll be successful in our workplace. I like that, man. I'm thinking, so now I'm thinking, I'm from the real estate world originally. All right. So now I'm thinking on the real estate side, as I'm hiring agents into a team or, or even a brokerage, I'm thinking, okay, what, what's the training that we can add here, right? At the beginning, I mean, okay, this is how you write up a contract. You've got 10 minutes, go. I'm That's like, right. Oh, you missed everything. It's like, but but it's it's now we have a standard, right? And we don't have that a lot of the times with companies. It's so good. Yeah. And it, it forces you to make those standards, right? Yeah. Because a, a lot of times you'll be like, okay, well, this person's good, this person's not good. But how do we qualify that in, in a real way? It makes you think critically about what success in a role really looks like and, and then how to reverse engineer it. I love this, man. All right. So now in, during this whole process, changing up the way that you interview and the way that you train, uh, I see from the book that you you progressed and you grew and now you're expanding. Mm-hmm. Well, what did, what did you and your family learn along the way that helped you grow as an individual and as a family? Yeah. I mean, this, this organization is really the culmination of, of uh, a family that loves each other because, you know, we were doing a lot of things early on that there really wasn't a roadmap for, and we really had no idea what we were doing, uh, not just on how to employ people with autism, but how to run good car washes. <laughs> I had no idea how to do this. <laughs> you like, know, what? Car wash? Yeah. How did you end up in a car wash first? Yeah. I mean, how, how the hell? So anyway. Yeah. Just... No, no. I mean, we were like, I never thought I was going to run a car wash. I I was the guy who like people would write, wash me on my car before I would actually go <laughs> get it washed. And I, you know, another big thing about car washes is they're very mechanical, right? So they're, it's essentially a big robot that washes a car. And so there's air systems and there's hydraulic systems and electric systems, low voltage, high voltage. And it all works together to, to clean the vehicle. And I, you know, I couldn't even hold a pair of pliers when we started this. So it was a ton of learning through that process. And yeah, it's really hats off to my dad, who's my co-founder, John. And, you know, he he had been an entrepreneur for 30 years at this point, but he let me kind of take the lead early on and let me fail, which I needed to in order to, you know, really learn even when the business wasn't really successful yet, it was, you know, struggling at the beginning, he still 
allowed me to do that because he cared about my development. And, you know, but through the whole thing, you know, we learned, I think one of the most salient learnings was that every time one of our team members with autism was struggling or, or a group of them were struggling because the business was built on empowering them and we really cared about their success, it forced us to look at how is the system they're interacting with failing them, right? How is the business failing the employee? And by then learning to identify the team members who were struggling the most as they were our best partners in solving these problems, because as we found someone who was like, pick whoever, whoever it was, was just having the hardest time doing something by, by working with them and designing something that they could then do and, and they could then do effectively, we built a, a system that was simple enough and clear enough and concrete enough that anyone could use it. So, you know, we did this over and over and over again in as many aspects as there are problems in our business. And that's allowed us to scale the organization. That's allowed us to put a to be in a position now where we feel like we can really grow rapidly because we've spent a lot of time being really intentional about building strong systems. And that is because by you know having an autism employment program, it really provides this lens for you to look at your organization through that will identify a lot of the little small flaws that your neurotypical employees could just soldier on through and they're just like, oh, whatever, that's, a, that's annoying, but yeah, it is, it is what it is, so what? And you know, that's not helping them do their best work. That's frustrating them probably every day, maybe disengaging them, but they're mm -hmm. silently doing this. Where our employees with autism, not so silent, very clear when they're struggling, most of the time will verbally let us know too. <laughs> and, it's a great thing, dude. Yeah, it's a great thing, exactly. So it allows us to say, okay, there's friction here. Friction creates sparks. How do we fix this problem? And, and that's what we do day in, day out. And, and we've learned to build the organizational muscles to, to do that well. It's interesting on that, that point alone where they're more verbal, right? Mm -hmm. And a lot of us tend to be more passive aggressive, mm -hmm. right? We let it kind of build. Yeah. Right? This is such a good example because like we, we think about and, and just like clinically autism is looked at as it's a social communication disorder. And the underlying thing behind that is that people with autism, they socially are not good at communicating that that's the underlying concept. However, that's one way to look at it. The other way to look at it is, no, they actually, and there's now research that's starting to emerge that supports this. They just have different ways of communicating socially. It's not that they're bad at it. It's that it's different than the way a neurotypical person communicates. It's the context that matters, right? They live in a neurotypical world. So they've been told over and over again that they have poor social communication skills. But what you just highlighted is a strength in their social communication skills that they are, they're just honest and they're forthright and 
They're not going to be passive aggressive, speak an analogy or sarcasm. You don't know, like, are they really upset or are they joking around? <laughs> it's very clear, right? Yeah, you're like, this sucks. <laughs> yeah, exactly. What is this? I can't do this. Are you kidding me right now? It's like, okay, all right, let's let's work through it. Let's Dude, honestly, it out. <laughs> I, I want to live in that world. Yeah, more, right. Exactly. So we can, so we can fix stuff. Yeah, and that that's the universal part of communication, right? Clear and direct language is something that everybody wants. It's just not something that everybody gets because it's uh, for, for neurotypical people, it's awkward to, to be like, hey, you know, you kind of blew that up. I, I, we need to do it this way next time. Or, hey, I'm not good at this. This, like, I failed at this right here. Like, can you help me? Those are hard things for a neurotypical person mm-hmm. to say. And it's, and that's a blessing for, for people with autism is that many of them are much much easier for them to to talk about these things in an honest way. I wonder, I mean, I wonder how many other companies need to hire on the autistic community to, to go through and make their companies better, because this is a big piece of why things don't get better because we never know. Exactly. Exactly. I would venture to say that almost any organization could really benefit from hiring people with autism uh, there's there, you know, it's such a wide spectrum of people from, you know, Elon Musk to somebody who's totally nonverbal, right? There's this, this huge spectrum of people with autism. And amazing. so, so, you know, there's probably a group of them that would be successful in virtually any role. And yet, like, like I said, because the social communication is different, the interview processes aren't designed for them. Organizational systems aren't generally designed for them. They don't get the opportunity to show what they're worth. Think about how many organizations today are struggling to find people who really want to work. Right? That, that at almost every organization, right, struggles. Every, so, especially yeah. the manual or the manual labor ones, plumbers, electricians. Yep, all of those are suffering right now. That's right, and, and there are so many people with autism who would love to have those jobs. Beyond that, right, beyond just the, the practical, tactical of, of hiring people with autism, it's a story that people really want to hear, right? You mentioned at, at, at the top of the interview that, you know, we've been on the nightly news twice. We've, we've been on the Today Show. We've had videos go super viral. That's because this story matters to so many people. And, and think about, you know, plumbers, electricians, this is a great example, right? This is, this is, these are services, just like car washes, that have very little differentiation besides price, right? It's really hard to communicate your value beyond like, okay, well, I'll do the job for this amount of money. When you can tell a story like this, we've been able to really build a customer base because, okay, well, I have to get my car wash either way. Might as well go to this place. And then they come and they get a great service and they just, now their customers collect. They would go to nowhere else, right? But they came because it was a different message. There was a different value proposition. All right. Uh, I like that. Uh, let's let's shift over to, in the book, you have the four wins. And I have them on my screen there here. So I'm going to read them to you. Not that you need me to read them. To <laughs> you, okay? just, it's for everybody else. For sure. Uh, it, expand on these, please, because I thought they were, they're so simple that we can all use them in our business. And they're great to focus on at, at any level. Here they are. Yeah. Every employee feels safe. Number one. I love that one. Accountability is a tool for growth, right? 
I would love to know how you explain that because mm-hmm. some people feel attacked when mm-hmm. they when they feel an accountability word. Your work has purpose. That's that's massive. And customers love their experience. Yeah. All right. Yeah. For Break sure. those down. So when you do the work that we talk about in the first part of the book, which is hire objectively, drive clarity into every aspect of your organization, deliberately develop talent, and build systems, tools, and processes that are designed for your employees that are struggling the worst, you create the conditions where, so starting with psychological safety, right, that every employee feels safe once you've done those things and you show people that you care, that it's okay to fail, that it's okay to bring up that I'm struggling because I'm going to get support and it's going to be looked at as a learning opportunity for the organization. And that, you know, this company cares about me. I have a future here. You build the requisite level of belonging uh, that's necessary to make people feel comfortable being honest, feel comfortable striving, even if they know they may fail because they're not going to get demonized for it. So that that's the first one. Then uh, accountability, right? Like you were saying, like, how could it be a tool for growth? A lot of time people feel attacked. And that's yep. because most organizations use accountability as this kind of stick to hit people over the head with. But when you first, right, you first do the work to set clear expectations train people effectively to meet those expectations, give them the tools they need to meet those expectations. Now, accountability can be fairly and ethically used as saying, okay, well, look, you you need to do these things. I I know you can do them. I expect you to do them because I I know we've done the work to prove that you can, right? I, I believe in you and now show me that you can do it, right? We all need accountability because we're all you know, it's easy for all of us to slip into this entropy state where, you know, life is getting in the way of us doing our best work. We need to be checked and balanced. And accountability is a really important tool for that. How does that work? The accountability, is it like a daily thing, a weekly thing? Um, What does that look like? Yeah, I think it's minute to minute, honestly. Um, So, you know, the, the things that are, have been most helpful in our accountability journey is one, structuring the work environment so that there is consistent feedback, right? So um, we have a bunch of measurement systems in place that just like objectively say how well we're doing on, on you know, whether it be how well we're utilizing our labor for a given period. You know, we have a tool that every 15 minutes measures our, our labor utilization, um, whether where our, our speed of service is meeting what we're supposed to do, whether the site cleanliness is where it's supposed to be, right? So having these, these measures that we're constantly revisiting, some of them are real-time measures. Like I said, some of them are things that we do on a daily basis or a weekly basis. And that becomes the foundation of bringing everybody back to center, right? Because it's easy for us to kind of, fray a couple degrees, the day gets in the way, things get crazy, whatever. We miss a couple goals. That's just part of life. But if we don't check that and say, okay, well, we didn't hit that. Let's let's make sure we put some focus on that now so we don't far, fall too far behind. When we don't do those things, we can easily, you know, that two degrees over a long period of time, you end up way far away from your goals. And 
So that really strong measurement and that really strong expectation that's built into the day. We also, and this is, this is kind of specific to our work environment, but there's probably a broader learning here. Like what, the way that we've structured our interior cleaning department, which is where most of our team members work, uh, is that we have somebody who is our supervisors for every, every two to three teams, we have one supervisor. So a team is two people that work, one works on the driver's side of the car, one works on the passenger side of the car. So, you know, we'll have, let's say we have three teams on and there's one supervisor there. That supervisor's job is to coach all day long. That is their number one job is to make sure the work is being done well by our team and coach them to, if, if something, you know, if they miss a spot or whatever, that they're the ones who, who bring the team member back to do it. They don't fix it themselves. They bring the team member back to do the work. The quality control type of thing? Yes, exactly. It's quality right. control. And this, but that's a, an example of that. That is an accountability checker, right? All day, yeah. right? Oh, you didn't do a great job here. Come on back. Let's fix it. You know, nobody wants to be told they got to fix their work. So eventually the, the, the quality of work gets better. So this is just a, a, a normal person, okay? Mm-hmm. How do you go around the feeling that someone like like you or I would get when we're told consistently, hey, go back, you missed this. Hey, go back. It, yeah. There's got to be a mindset shift on our part. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think there's a couple things there. So first is that we use these measurement systems and these accountability systems also to praise, right? We don't only use it to identify the negative things, right? Most well, humans have this negativity bias that we're like constantly focused on all the stuff that's not working um, <laughs> all day. Like that's what we, that's the way we're built. Um, you know, it used to serve us really well when we were dodging predators in today's world don't work us so well. Um, so we have to actively balance that with saying, okay, Look, that person did super well there. The, the last car, you know, they missed they missed the corners of the windshield. They did, you know, but this one they did a beautiful job. Let me make sure I go and tell them, hey, that was great. That's what I want to see. Awesome work, right? And we're constantly more than we're giving the negative critical feedback. We're giving the positive feedback. Our best coaches are ones that are all day identifying, hey, that's a great pace. Keep up that pace. Hey, that was a great job on that tire. That was a great job vacuuming. Look, perfect job boxing and filling and cleaning that window. And by doing those things, then when you give the negative critical feedback, the team knows that you already care about them, right? So you're not just cracking the whip. It's it's objective, right? It's fair. It's like, oh, okay, I got to fix that. So it feels a little bit less um, like a salient. And then also, you know, the thing about feedback, which is essentially what we're talking about right now, is that when it's done infrequently, it really gets our, our social anxiety through the roof, right? Um, it, you're feeling judged. You're feeling inadequate. This is natural. So what we have to do is we have to desensitize the system to that, right? We have to, if we're constantly getting feedback, just like, you know, many people are, are um, nervous about public speaking right? And, and any public speaker will tell you that they were super nervous when they started speaking publicly too. It's a natural human thing. But after you do it a couple hundred times, you're a lot less nervous about it. It's the same thing with feedback, right? When you're only getting feedback once a quarter, once a year on a, an annual review, it's very anxiety producing. When you're getting feedback all day, every day, it's just part of your job. And that 
those are the things that I would say, that's how you, you really normalize these things in a culture. Yeah. That it's a part of your job and we're not, we're not judging you. I love that. Mm -hmm. Right. Cause we feel, we feel judged, right. The whole negativity bias, right. Right. So that makes exactly. a lot of sense. All right. Let's go now to your work has purpose. Cause this is tied into it. I see it. Yeah. So tell me. Yeah. Yeah. So um, there's a bunch of different parts of purpose, right? You have your organizational level purpose, which is why the organization exists beyond just simply making money. We, we hear about that a lot and it's really important, but there's a whole nother side to purpose, which is the individual level of purpose. How do you feel every day? about your, your purpose at work. And that is not as tied to the organizational purpose as most people think it is. Mm. Um, it's part of it, certainly. But it's really more about, do I feel like I have control over my day? Do I feel like I'm growing? Do I feel like I have relationships that matter at work? Those are the things that we really really drive our purpose experience on a daily basis. And those things, right, they could be done in any organization, regardless of what your actual organizational level purpose is. And so when we talk about, do I feel like I'm in control? That's not just like, okay, well, I can work when and where I want. In, in some cases, and that's really great. You know, in a car wash, we can't really do that. Lots of businesses, you know, you can't wash cars remotely. Um, so you have to find other ways to help people be in control and, and by doing it where you're collaboratively building systems and processes. And when someone is struggling, you're reworking those systems and processes to make it work better for everyone that helps people feel like they are in control, having clear expectations and knowing if they are hitting or not hitting those expectations also makes people feel like they're in control feeling like you're growing, same thing, right? If we're constantly trying to develop people and coach people to do better, we feel like we're growing. And these things also help us build really strong relationships at work. Yeah, that is key, man. Uh, the collaboration, mm -hmm. right? Interesting. Huh. You just gave me new thoughts there. Interesting. I, I love that. Yeah. So thank you. Thank <laughs> awesome. you. I thank never you. pieced, I never pieced all those three things together there. Yeah. All right. Now we've got customers love the experience. This exactly. is, I'm feeling like these four are progressive, right? Uh-huh. It all culminates in, right? What really matters is that our customers feel it because if the customers don't feel it, you know, we might not be in business for very long. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, we could do all these things, but if, if the customers aren't happy, it's kind of irrelevant. And that, you know, by starting by building, you know, bringing in the right people, building real consistency in the way that we do things by having clarity, building systems, tools, and processes that work really well for our team members, therefore can help them produce really consistent, high quality results. And that we're constantly training people to be better. You know, those things help us, like I said, help us feel more safe at work, help us feel purpose at work, help us feel accountable. All that leads to the highest level of employee performance that you can get. People are engaged and wanting to do a good job at work. And then, so we get to our customers, right? So now they're getting consistent, high quality service and they can feel, and this is the thing that I think people, when people ask me what's different about our car washes than other car washes, the feeling that customers get here is different. 
because they see a bunch of people that actually want to be there, that are trying to help them, that are trying to do a good job. And, and that's an experience in a lot of retail settings that is really rare, right? You don't often, you know, you don't go to McDonald's a lot of the time and see people that are really pumped to help you. That, you know, they're almost more of like a cog in a system and they're just, their hands and feet are involved, but their minds and their hearts aren't really involved. And you feel that differently when you're at one of our stores. And that's because of all that, those things that we did. And then on top of that, how do we outwardly communicate these things to our customers, right? So because of our social mission, we're able to communicate a really compelling story that, you know, we are all, we're, we all have strengths. We're all, we all can contribute. We're all valuable, right? The, the social mission really helps us tell that story. But even without the social mission, you can tell the story of that we care about our employees, that we're here to help everybody do better. And, you know, I think most people, that's the type of business that they want to support. So obviously, employing people with autism, having a great social mission, it puts lighter fluid on all of these concepts that we talk about in the book. But they're actually still good concepts, even if you aren't going to go take the leap to employ people with autism to start. Yeah. A hundred percent. I could see that. I could see that when I was reading it and I can see that now that this can all be applied across the board. Um, but what, what's, what stood out for me, especially as we're talking now is that we need to hire, we need to be even more diverse in our hiring to be able to really go back and say, what, what do we need to change to grow more and to be more inclusive, to make people feel like they have a purpose inside of our organization, because that is lacking. You could totally see that right now with all the, the mental health issues, like they don't connect over here. They don't connect over there. Uh, so yeah. I, I love that, man. That, that That's what was apparent to me. So you mentioned something though here in the customer um, loving the experience. You mentioned, yeah, if they don't love the experience, we're going to fail. So I'm sure that from 2013 to like a few years into it, you're like, <laughs> are we going to make this or what? <laughs> Tell me about that. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I don't think we really fully turned the corner until like the beginning of 2015, 2016. That's when it really felt like, okay, like this is going to work. Uh, yeah. I mean, when we first opened, yeah, we had some, some, some idea of like, okay, people with autism need structure. We need to build you know, good training for them to be successful. But we only did that in like a microcosm of business. So just the way that we were cleaning the insides of the cars, that was very well structured when we opened. But like everything else about the car wash was not well structured. And I wasn't well structured. I was, you know, brutal leader at this point. Terrible. And, you know, what just, but because we really cared and were committed to like making our team work, there was no there, there was no chance we were ever going to not employ people with autism. We were, we were never, we would have let the business burn before we threw away our mission. That forced us to be like, okay, look, this is, this, this is right. But like, we have to do this structuring thing in like every facet of the business. And we have to do it like yesterday. So it's time to like really hustle and get these things done. There were a lot of like long nights for me, a lot of, you know, 70, 80, hundred hour weeks to to get those things done early on because they were so important to our success and 
I mean, from a leadership perspective, like I find it so interesting that, uh, especially for me, when I, when I started, like, I love to read, I read all the good leadership books and yet I still, you know, I have just internalized this, this leadership practice of like, I'm, I'm going to be the boss. I'm going to tell people what to do. It's my way or the highway. If you're not listening, I can speak a little louder and then maybe you'll listen. And that approach, even though like I knew that was, you know, intellectually, I knew that was not the right approach, uh, you know, viscerally in the moment when I'm stressed, that was still the approach I, I would take a lot of time. And it was, I failed regularly. People were not happy with me for sure. Even if they were telling me it to their face, it was very apparent. So, you know, but because we had this mission and we really cared that like it taught me to be like, okay, like this isn't working how do I, how do I do better? I'm here to serve my team members. Like that's the whole reason we're here is to serve our employees with autism. So that allowed me to kind of take a step back, I think, and learn better leadership skills, learn how to ask questions to start, how to ask open-ended questions, to understand context, and then, you know, be able to then, then talk through solutions instead of just barking orders being able to say okay I, I i i'm not good at this it's that's okay i need i need help help me with this what do you think here right and and those types of approaches they, they had really positive results and that's you know you see that in so many leadership books but but what's what's interesting about working with people with autism that we've learned as well as a bunch of other organizations that are currently employing people with autism organizations from Microsoft, SAP, to other small organizations like us, uh, that this is a really great leadership development tool because it teaches you that critical thing, which is to, to care about your employees, that you are inherently there to help them do better, that they are not coming to you perfect, right? And that's true for everybody, right? Because nobody's perfect. Everybody has their flaws and their deficiencies. And the way that a really good leader handles that is that they're there to help people do better. They're there to help them grow both on a personal and a professional level. And it, it's, it's very clear that employing people with autism helps leaders do that specifically with those employees with autism and then generalize those skills to everybody else that they're managing. Dude, I, I like that a lot. I think it's important to to really look at it this way and say, how can how can I start looking at my business like this so that we can continue to grow? Because one thing that, that happens to all business owners is that you have a moment in time where like, whoa, 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 I'm screwing up a lot. What's going on? Is this is this did I do the right thing? Like, <laughs> and you went back to your mission. How long did you take on that original mission and did it change a little bit or was it always the same? Um, so, I mean, the mission was the inception before we even had the business model, the, the mission was 80% of our staff would, would have autism. Um, so we, we looked, you know, inherently we started our relationship with our, our employees different than most organizations. We started it backwards, right? We tried to find a business model that fit a certain group of people's strengths instead of trying to find a business model and then finding the people who have strengths that can do this business model. So inherently that's true. Um, but we started with this mission and as we evolved, I think the biggest thing is that 
we we learned that our employees with autism and people who are neurodivergent in general, so not just autism, who have ADHD, people who are dyslexic, people who are social anxiety disorder, who are highly sensitive people, all of those things, we learned that there is no limit to what they're going to be able to do in the organization. We have to like consistently evolve this mission so that we have people, our employees with autism and, and our other neurodivergent employees are able to fill every single role in the company. And they have, I mean, we, we have supervisors with autism, we have managers with autism, we have maintenance people with autism, the whole, the whole thing. And that was not something we thought we would be able to do at the beginning. It's also become where early on, we didn't really think about this, but now it's, it's a big part of what we do is that this is a great first job for a lot of people with autism, right? It doesn't have to be their career, but we yeah. want to develop them and develop their skills so they can go on and they can get jobs at other places. They can go on and work at the local hotels. They can work at other, other, you know, um, you know, at fast food restaurants or, or, uh, at, at Home Depot or Publix or wherever. And, and they've done that. I mean, we've had team members have about 75% of the, the staff that moves on from us moves on into other jobs or higher education. That's so, awesome. yeah, exactly. And that's become a big part of our mission to preparing them for the world. Dude, you're almost like um, the missing piece in college. <laughs> what do you mean? I, I don't get that. <laughs> well, like, you know, you're actually preparing people for the real uh, world. Yeah. Like, you know, it's like, do we go to, do we go to the car wash or do we go to college? <laughs> not only are you, what was the whole training, right? You're doing it yeah. right. Yeah. And you're giving people a purpose and you're helping them along the way. It's like a family. That's. I wish we could find all those things in college, man. That, yeah, that's true. That that makes a lot of sense as to why this becomes like that springboard into other things. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And that's what we look for in our first few jobs, right? Interesting, man. Yeah. It's very yeah. interesting. You mentioned something at the beginning where you said that you don't, you haven't fired anybody for, I think it's almost, was it three years that you said almost? Yeah. So why do you think that if it could be like one thing, if you, if yeah. you could break it down to one thing, what is yeah. that? Reason? So, so to be clear, we haven't fired any team members with autism in the last few years. Okay. We've, we, some of our neurotypical employees, we've still fired. Um, <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. But, but in general, you know, the reason we don't have to fire a lot of people and what reason we have to fire virtually no people with autism is that the, assessment early on is really strong, right? So people, um, we, we know that they can do the job. We set the expectations really clearly. And then in the onboarding process in those first few weeks, month of, of work, we're really clear about expectations. We're really clear about giving them the training that they need to do. We're really intentional about how do we bring them into the culture? Do we bring them to lunch on the first day? Do we order pizza for the team? So everybody's like, oh. hey, welcome to the team right? Like these type of little things. And do we pair them with, you know, we, we make sure we pair them with the right uh, team members. So they mm. become assimilated into the culture quickly. And all of those things together with a, a business that's designed intentionally for our employees makes it where it's very rare that somebody gets through that, that training program that they're not going to be able to be successful. And some of them quit. I mean, I wouldn't say we, we haven't had, we've, we've certainly had employees quit over the last few years, but mm-hmm. that's namely 
because they don't want to meet those expectations. And they're the ones who decide, okay, like this is not for me. And that's okay, right? That's part part of life too. But it's, you know, it's about building all of these things together. I, I wouldn't say there's necessarily one like key thing. If there's one most important thing, it's really good hiring practices. But you know, I think it's it's a lot of things coming together to make that happen. I like that, man. It always starts with the intent though. Yeah. Right? For your, sure. Your intent, the intent of the company, right? This is why the mission was so, so important. It's like, we've got to yeah, get yeah. better and yeah. better at this. I yeah, like yeah. that. All right. So last question for you. Um, what do you guys do as a family to just relax <laughs> and chill out? Like, what does that look like? Um, we love going out. Uh, my, my parents have a boat. Um, so we're in Florida. So that's a full year thing to do down here. Yep. Uh, we get together for, for dinner a lot. My brother absolutely loves Universal Studios about three hours from here. So we, you know, we go up to Universal. That's always always a good time to see him in that environment because he it's like his favorite thing in the whole world. Nice. Um, what yeah. part of Universal does he like the most? Um, so his favorite things are the the Spider-Man ride. He has to do that like five times every time we go. Oh, and, God, I love that. Uh, that's probably his number one thing. He loves the Hulk, which I, I've heard that actually just got shut down. So I don't know. Um, and then he really, really loves um, seeing all the, all the superheroes on, on the street when they dress up. That's cool, man. Yeah, that's cool. Tom, where do people go and find out more about you besides just ordering the book, the power, the power of potential here? Um, where do people go? Yeah. So the best place to go is to our website, risingtidecarwash.com. Uh, you'll see uh, a page on that on the website that explains our book more, uh, as well as that explains the business, uh, as well as risingtideu.com, which is our sister organization where we we try to teach people the things that we've learned. The book is is our most recent um, product to help people do that. We also have an online course which is geared towards people who want to build businesses around employing people with autism. That's called the Autism Advantage, and uh, that course is actually we're giving away for free. It's usually $495. We're giving away for free for anybody who buys the book through the month of January. Nice. And buying it through the website, right? Yeah. So you, you know you can buy it anywhere. You just have to email us the receipt at book at risingtidecarwash.com. Oh, nice. Dude, yeah. I love that. And do you guys have a, an Instagram or? Yeah, you can go. Uh, our, 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 we have a bigger following on Facebook, but also we have an Instagram page as well. It's Rising Tide, It's at Rising Tide Car Wash. Perfect. I'll go follow that, man. Thanks, Tom, man. thank you so much, man. I appreciate this. Kristen, thank you so much. And, and really, uh, thank you. This, is, this was a great time. Those are all the brilliant thoughts that we have for you today. If you like what you're hearing, drop us a review or just tell your friends. This has been a success podcast. Head to success.com slash podcast to hear more just like it.